You're listening to the Connecticut Real Estate Edge podcast, your source for tips and tricks on building wealth through real estate in Connecticut. You will get the best techniques from leading local experts in real estate and lending. Now, here's your host, Robert Weinberg. Good Saturday morning to everybody and welcome to Mortgage Matters Radio Show and the Connecticut Real Estate Edge podcast along with Rob Weinberg. I'm Gary Byron. Rob, how are you there, my friend? Not too bad. How you doing, Gary? Ah, oh, perfect. Come on. Are you kidding me? It's uh, warmer weather. Things are going great. You know, people are in a better mood. They're out socializing. I was thinking, I was telling you this last week. Weather has so much to do with uh, the, the mood that people are in. Um, how, speaking of, you know, moods and climates and, and th- how are... How is the um, I know you're not in real estate as an agent, you know, per se. Uh, You're kind of in real estate indirectly through obviously through mortgages, but they're linked together. Oh, yeah. Regardless. So, you know, as you know, uh, my best buddy, best man, best man at my wedding. We've been friends since first grade back in 1976. Um, I mean, and he's not just a real estate agent. He's in. Uh, management. Recruiting, he does recruiting for right training exactly, and he's even telling me, Gary, this reminds me of you know 2006 or seven, whatever. Really? Yeah. He says this is it's terrible out there. He says, yeah, this time of year. He goes, granted, you're getting more homes now than you were even just you know six weeks ago, um, but it's still low when you compare mid May of 2022 to mid May. You know, of just maybe three years ago, pre-pandemic, we'll just call it that. Okay. You know, um, so I don't, I don't know. I like I was doing business in Connecticut in two thousand six, two thousand seven, which was kind of the when we got into the real estate crash. Pretty much everything fell off a cliff at that point. Sure. So I saw a couple years leading up to that, and I don't feel like this is the same. For I mean, really, two main reasons. I would say number one is. Back then, there was over 4 million homes for sale in the U.S. Now there's less than a million, Mm. okay? Big difference. Big difference. Supply and demand, right? Sure. Number two, and I'd say this might even be a bigger reason why I'm not seeing a crash and I'm not seeing what I saw back then, is that back then, almost without exception, most of the mortgages were either adjustable rate mortgages, risky mortgages, hybrid mortgages, or negative uh, amortization mortgages, which they don't really have those anymore. And what I'm really saying for the novice is that they were very risky mortgages people were taking to buy that house. Mm -hmm. So they were willing to pay a lot more than the list price because, well, who cares? I'm not putting in any of my own money. So if the bank will lend it to me, I'll buy it. That was kind of the mentality of, of buyers back then. Not the, not the case today. Um, I don't really do much down payment assistance, so all my buyers are putting minimum 3 to 5%, and most of my seasoned buyers that are moving up to one property or another are putting anywhere from 20 to 40% down. So they're not a no money down scenario or bad credit scenario. Back then, I could get you a loan with a 500 credit score, even if you pay your mortgage late in the last year or two. Wow. Now you can't do that. I mean, there are certain programs that maybe you could possibly fit into, but it's going to be difficult. Back then it was tons of investors were doing loans with these low, low credit scores. And it was just, it was a recipe for disaster is kind of what I'm saying. So that when blank hit the fan, uh, people just gave up the house because they had nothing, no investment there. They bought the house with little to no money down. So why would they stay? 
Now, if you put 20% down on a house and it goes down 10% in value, are you going to sell that house just because it went down 10%? If you put 20% down, you shouldn't. There's no reason to. You know, so it's one of those scenarios that I look at and I was talking to a client the other day that said, well, I'm afraid to buy a house because what if it goes down? I said, well, what if it does go down? Then what? Nothing happens. See, with real estate, the only time it hurts you when the house goes down is when you're trying to to sell sell it or refinance. Those are the two areas it can help or hurt you. But if you're willing to stay put and you're looking at home as a long term generational investment. Oh, you're right. You know, then you don't have to worry. And that's actually really perfect segue to our show today because this is what this is about is generational wealth building it through real estate and the stuff you're talking about is just a blip on the radar screen when we zoom out and look at real estate over a hundred years what are, what's the what's the um what's the interest rate right now same as it was a couple weeks ago you know depend on the scenario between six and seven on almost all the programs and it actually spiked up a, a week or so ago but it, now it's kind of settled i mean we're in that six to seven range on almost every program. Like if you have really bad credit, you might be in the sevens. If you have really good credit, you might be in the high fives. You know, it just depends on the scenario. We talked on the last show real briefly about the uh, loan level price adjustments the Biden administration put in that oh, made it more expensive for certain people. Yeah. Uh, you say $40. It could be $200 for well, some. Listen, I'm a newsman. Right. I, I just get what, the news said what comes over the wire. I think so. that's just a generality of what is it costing the average person. Person. I, I've seen somewhere it doesn't cost anything more. I've seen somewhere it costs a lot more than $40 more. Really? Okay. So I think, you know, when we kind of look at all that, it's all just, again, a blip on the radar screen. Real estate's not meant to just flip. I know there are people that do that, right. but that's the exception. That's not what it's all about. So these little, these little issues that come up, even if we had a five or 10% crash, like Let's really put that out on the table and say, what does that mean? It doesn't really mean anything to almost anybody. It's just news, fear-mongering, media, all this stuff you really want to step back and stay away from. They're trying to get into your head and say that this is coming. You know, there's certain reporters that that's their entire premise of how they report is doom and gloom, right? Specifically doom and gloom with housing. So I can tell you locally in Connecticut it's not happening, and and we'll talk about reasons why, but – Today, I want to instill confidence and motivation in our listeners along the lines of building generational wealth through real estate, because we've done shows about why you should buy real estate for the here and now. We've done shows about why you should refinance and tap your equity here and now. But what does real estate look like over really long periods of time? What does it look like when you can pass it on to future generations? That's what I want to talk about. How does it contribute to building, let's say, generational wealth? So real estate's a long-term asset. You know, we can't say that enough time. So it really is going to give you your best bang for the buck, having it held over a long period of time. I tell my clients, minimum five to seven years when you're buying a home, there's rare exceptions where you want to buy a home if you're not going to be there at least five to seven years. But for a lot of homeowners, especially today, coming out of those record low interest rates of COVID, you know, there's a lot of people that are hesitant to sell their homes. And I think that, Many, many generations ago, people would hold on to that family home, right? They pass it down generation to generation. I mean, you're somebody that is living in your family home, right? I grew up in the house. Right. So there hadn't been as much of that lately over the last five, 10 years. But I think it's going back more towards staying in your home long term because the home costs have gone up so much, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of people that have had their home for a bit do have these low interest rates. And they can then pass a paid off home potentially to their heirs, uh, you know, to their next of kin, so to speak. So it's like, 
there's all these reasons that you want to have real estate, but appreciating over time is a big one. If you look at people that bought a home in 1950 and didn't sell it, what did they pay for it then versus what is it worth now? <laughs> Crazy numbers, right? right like yeah. insane numbers. So that's one thing is that appreciation. But the other thing that a lot of especially first time buyers like they fail to realize is that that home can also be a cash flow asset, meaning that even if you're not going to live there anymore, that can be an asset that pays you every month, like a pension, like an annuity, you know, and it's rental income. No matter what's going on with the market and the economy or interest rates or any of that crap, people need a place to live every single day, no matter what. And the house provides that and they're willing to pay for that. And we've seen rents go up lately. So people that owned homes are the beneficiaries because they can then rent that house out for more today than they could two or three, four, five, 10, 20 years ago. That's the real benefit of owning real estate for generational wealth. There's misconceptions as well, though. Right? Huge misconceptions always. I mean, I would say a big one I hear is that just owning a home is too expensive. And it's not worth the investment. Ooh, that's a big one. That's a huge one. Um, another misconception is that real estate's a get-rich-quick scheme. You know, uh, it's going to take so long to, to make a profit on the house. It's not even worth it. And I think a lot of that comes from, again, the media. Like, you hear about someone that flipped a house and made all this money, or you see a TV show about it, and it's like, that's not real estate for the average Joe. That's not real estate for the average homeowner in America today. Okay, I would really step back and say the average is just looking for somewhere to lay their head at night that they can be proud of somewhere that they have that pride of ownership, somewhere that they, you know, feel at home and comfortable. Like, that's really what it's all about. Now, if it turns into an investment and other stuff down the road, then that's fine. But, you know, people also underestimate the cost and they talk about, oh, it's going to cost so much. But you're also, you know, paying a lot of those costs with renting. You may not think you are. But when the landlord raises your rent 200, 500 or more, I even heard the other day of a thousand dollar a month increase. They're doing that because it costs more now to own that property. Okay. It's not just because of they felt like it. Like there's a real reason. So when the hot water heater breaks, the air condition, all this stuff, you think, well, I'm the renter, I'm not paying it, but you are because when they raise your rent, they're factoring that into the cost. You know, let's say I wanted to build wealth through real estate. Why is it important that I work with someone like you, a, a, a mortgage You got to work with a mortgage advisor. I think if you just say, I want to build wealth through real estate, that's like a very generic saying nowadays because everyone knows real estate is how most millionaires were created in the US, I think even in the world. So it's an easy go-to. Oh yeah, I want to create wealth through real estate. I want to get rich <laughs> through real estate. I want to be a landlord. Like I want to be a mogul, right? I remember I felt that way at one point too, but- the thing is, the mortgage advisor can help you come to reality because your idea of being a real estate mogul and owning all those properties, it doesn't happen overnight. It takes time to build. You have to you know, have that stepping stone and building block. So getting with a mortgage advisor, really, when you first have that intuition that you want to do that, we're going to be able to create that plan for you. What does the first property look like? What's the foundation? Where should you start? And what's that price point going to be? And then how can we move up from there? How can we build up from there? Because literally within a couple of years, if you play your cards right, you can go from one property to two, three, four, five properties. Yeah, and we'll tell yeah. some stories of people that have you know, dozens of properties. So navigating the home buying process, providing advice on building equity and generating income, and then ultimately navigating you over to the different people you need to help in that process, the real estate pro, the, the negotiator, the uh, real estate advisor, and then, of course, the real estate attorney. So you have to have this wealth team we've talked about 
set up, especially if you're going to be buying multiple properties, because you don't want someone new on every deal. You want that team you can plug and play and say, hey, here's what I'm looking to do. And they know you, they know how to reach you, they they know how to do business with you because we have that experience. And this is what I love, I get fired up about because like I have clients I've worked with literally half a dozen times in the last 10 years because it's just a plug and play. Hey, I want to do this. We know their scenario. We know their financials. We can make deals come together in 24, 48 hours versus weeks because we have the system in place. But more importantly, we have the relationship in place with that client. So that's why it's important to work with that mortgage advisor up front. Do you offer strategies? There's got to be strategies that come into play if you want to build wealth yeah. through real estate. I mean, I, I you know, I see it all. I hear it all in my profession. So like, well, I, I don't want to dumb it down, but real estate doesn't have to be complicated here. I think the simplest strategy is you know, buy and rent. You buy a property and you rent it out for passive income. Obviously, you have to look at the numbers, but like if your mortgage is 1700 a month and you're renting it out for 2200 a month, there's like a factor in there of margin. There's a profit in there. So you as a real estate investor or future investor like need to figure out and navigate that process of how much profit you want to make, understand and, and realize that some properties may not meet that criteria, especially now. You have to be very specific on your numbers. And I have a lot of real estate investors. They're still looking at properties all the time, but they are very quick to walk away. If the numbers don't work, there's no emotional attachment. I'm not buying that house. The numbers don't. It doesn't pencil. So as a real estate investor, you need to look at that. Buy and hold is, is a probably the best long-term strategy that you can do with real estate because it works. Buy and hold. Another one is buy in an up-and-coming up neighborhood. So figure out an area that maybe isn't the best right now, mm. but there's maybe some new businesses going in. You see there's permits being pulled for different things. There's some little nuances, some little tricks that you can use to figure out where's the new hot up-and-coming area. Buy a property there before it's hot and then capitalize on the appreciation over time. So that's a really, really big one. And then fixer-uppers. I mean, people have heard the fixer-upper property you buy, you renovate it, and then you sell it and make all this money. I know on TV that looks good. In most cases, even experienced flippers go over budget or something comes up that they're not used to. So I would stay away from the flip type of stuff, you know, the fix and resell, yeah. especially right now. It's easy to get in over your head. So then what would you recommend? Let's say, all right, let's just say uh, tomorrow. I want to start building wealth through real estate ownership. What do I got to do to get started? First step is you got to figure out your budget and you got to get pre-approved for a mortgage. So that's working with that mortgage advisor up front to lay the groundwork. Once we have that foundation and pre-approval in place, then we'll be getting you with a realtor, a real estate agent, a negotiator, mm -hmm. someone that can really bring you properties that meet your criteria, fit your goals, mm -hmm. also meet your pre-approval amount. We don't want them bringing you a half a million dollar home <laughs> if you're only pre-approved for 350, right? Mm -hmm. Then once you've purchased the property, that's really where we need to step back and look at the more long-term plan. We got to look at how can you build more equity in this home? How much did you put down? How much equity do you have? And then what strategies can we utilize over the coming years or decades to build more equity in the home? Maybe your budget's comfortable and you want to put extra money on your mortgage every month. That's a really, really common one. Pay the mortgage off early. Um, I've had people do biweekly payments, so they'll pay an extra one payment a year on the mortgage. A lot of the, that planning has to do with paying down the mortgage. But the other side of it is how can you improve the home, renovate, repair, 
and change the home to give it more value in the market. So maybe you're in a home that's only a three bedroom. How much more would it be worth if you turn it into a four bedroom? I have a client right now that bought a single family property. They're trying to turn it into a four family property. So it's a huge single family that they're trying to turn it into a four unit house. Uh, Very complicated, obviously. Lots of architects and builders and contractors involved. But I say that to show you that there's a lot of different ways to do this and buying a house and then improving it can be a huge windfall of profits, you know, to appreciate, uh, have that appreciation. Um, I mean, you just really need to look at your financials and what's comfortable for you because you don't want to be house poor. You don't want to take on more than you can chew. And if you're going to buy a house at the top of your price range and then immediately think of renovating or changing things around, it might put you in a financially stressful situation. You don't want to be in, especially when you buy the house. I would imagine the market itself would have would come into play and have a lot to do with uh, how you build your, your real estate wealth. Yeah, I mean, it's important to understand the market trends and you want to do your research like any big purchase. You're not just going to go, you shouldn't just go buy a car and just go to the lot. You need to do your research. (laughs) Same thing with real estate, like do your research, know your areas, have that wealth team to help guide you. You got to take that long term approach to help mitigate the impact of the fluctuations, because what you may find is an area right now that was really hot. Maybe it's not as hot now. But is this the lull before the storm, right? Meaning, can you get a deal there now while it's a little lower? Or is this the beginning of the end? You don't want to catch a falling knife, like they say, right? So you really got to step back and do, you got to do your research. You really got to do your research. And that realtor is so important to helping you do that research to make sure that you're getting it in the right area, the right place, the right time. But at the end of the day, you know, owning a house, especially if you're going to live there, it's about having a place to put that head at night. So the numbers are more for the investment side, the real estate uh, investor, the mogul, upcoming mogul. But when you're just buying a house to live in, then, you know, at some point you got to put some of the financial part aside. And and you do have to look emotionally because you have to be happy to wake up there every day. Of course. Folks, you're listening to Mortgage Matters Radio Show and the Connecticut Real Estate Edge podcast Along with Rob Weinberg, I'm Gary Byron. You can find a lot of information on his website at robgw.com. And write this phone number down. Uh, hey, maybe you're saving grace when you set up a meeting with him. 860-413-3938. I'm going to repeat all of that email address. So I'll give you the number a couple more times, more towards the end of the show. I would imagine you must see people make a ton of mistakes. What are some of them? In creating a yeah, wealth in, yeah, in definitely. Real I would say the number one mistake that I see is buying more property than you can afford, especially right now. There's a lot of pressure to be able to get what you want when you buy a home and there's not a lot of inventory. So you may find yourself going from, you know, a 350 price point that you wanted to stick with all of a sudden going to four or 450 plus. And if you're pre-approved for the mortgage of that amount, then that's OK, you know, but you got to be comfortable with that monthly payment. Even if I say you can afford it as your mortgage advisor, can you actually realistically make that payment out of your bank account every month without feeling financial stress? So that house poor concept we've talked about on so many episodes, you don't want to be house poor. 
for too many first-time buyers look at buying their first home as if they're buying their forever home. And I'm going to tell you right now, you almost see no first-time buyers that keep their first home forever. It's so rare. It's a stepping stone. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know the statistic, but if I were to guess, I'd say less than 20% of first-time buyers are still living in that first home 10 to 15 years down the road. So trying to get every bell and whistle and every amenity, it just doesn't make sense, especially in this market. So be flexible. Get a, a, a first property and know that you're going to move up long term. Another thing is, uh, I would say, if you're an investor making a mistake of not factoring in all the costs of the homeownership, the maintenance costs, the repair costs, all the things that go wrong, and then literally one missed rent payment and the entire financial situation goes down the tube. So that's a big one. I would say the last one that I'll mention on today's show here for mistakes is going to be not doing your research on a property's potential. So you'll buy in an area thinking I'm getting a great deal, not realizing that this area has really bad appreciation, meaning the homes are not worth much more now today than they were five, 10 years ago. That's a red flag. Okay. I'm not telling you that you can't buy the home or you shouldn't buy the home, but don't buy that home expecting that it's going to appreciate over a long period of time because hey the past it may not be a guarantee of the future but the um the saying i've heard is that it rhymes the future rhymes with the past even though it may not be the exact same you know people want to build wealth through real estate ownership right but how does how does it all fit in how does it fit into the to the larger yeah so uh, you know we were just talking about mistakes i you know to answer your question gary i've seen a lot of people make a mistake of putting all their eggs in the real estate basket Mm. so you have these real estate investors or entrepreneurial individuals that buy a house when they're young they take the advice we're talking about here they build a portfolio of real estate and then they sit there at 45 55 65 years old and they've got all these properties but they have no money in a 401k they have have no money in investments. They're literally cash poor, but they have millions of dollars in equity in their home. So that's a big issue. I would say don't make that mistake. Whether you're all in on real estate or not, you shouldn't be. You need to be diversified. Uh, I, you know, Dave Ramsey, not somebody that I necessarily agree with, but I was listening to him on the way in today on his podcast. He talked about Mutual funds and real estate. Those are the areas. So basically, stocks and bonds on one side and real estate on the other. You can do both. Everyone really recommends you do both because they aren't necessarily correlated, meaning real estate can do really, really well, like in 2022, when the stock market did really, really bad, right? Mm -hmm. And it can go vice versa. The real estate market could be crashing 10, 20% plus low, lower values. Meanwhile, the stock market might be up 30% that year. So you don't want to just pick one area. And I see too many people that do one or the other. I do both. I recommend okay. you do both. That's the answer right there for you. All right. So you're not telling anybody don't do a 401k. I'm saying you want to do the 401k. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Actually, before you even do your first property, set your automatic deduction in a 401k. Set a taxable brokerage account set up. If you don't know how, let me help you. Let somebody, a financial advisor, help you. You need to lay that foundation. I don't care if there's a lot of money in there. Have a brokerage account with $500,000. Have a 401k where you're putting a couple thousand dollars a week or a month or whatever you're able to do. Obviously, there's limitations. But set up that foundation of wealth building with the mutual funds, the stocks, bonds. Then do the real estate on top. Then you'll be diversified and you'll be in a really good financial position. Rob, give me some examples of maybe some of the success stories of people who have built wealth through real estate ownership 
Um, really quick. I'm running yeah, out of time. Yeah, I know. We don't I... have much time. Couple quick ones. Renee actually had him on the show. If you remember a couple years ago, Renee, uh, Renee came on the show. He's one of my clients. Single guy from Vernon. He had multiple properties. I remember So what him. he did is he bought his first property. It was a fixer-upper. He lived in it for a year. Then he ended up renting it out to others and all of them and uh, all the units, I should say. And he's got a great rental income there. And he also used the equity from that property to buy another property. Long story short, he now owns three properties with a fourth on the way. And the guy's less than 30 years old. It all started with that first multifamily. Another one I want to tell you is Dan from Milford. He's a client of mine. Uh, He's got a huge real estate portfolio, but the guy's just a mailman. He's just a mailman. He's been a mailman for 30 years. He's retiring soon, but he started with one three-unit property, lived in one unit, rented the others out, and he traded his way up to where now he's got 10 units across five properties, over a million dollars in equity. He's got thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars a month in passive income coming in after his mortgage is paid, and he's now going to be able to retire from the post office, never making more than 80, 90 grand a year at the top of his pay scale, and he's going to retire a multi-multi-millionaire with all this money coming in from all these properties, he started with just one multi-unit property. He doesn't manage the properties himself, right? He hires a company that kind he of- He actually, he does. Oh you don't have to, but it's only five properties. It's not a huge deal. I remember Renee. He didn't have a lot of money when he started no, out too. No. He shared his whole story That's with us. That's the thing about it is a lot of people don't have a lot of money and you don't need to right. go all in. You can like do this the right way. Slow and steady wins the race with real estate. I remember his story. All right, finally, just uh, in the last maybe couple of minutes- there's got to be resources or maybe some tools that people can use to help them take that first step and, and pursue their you know wealth and, yeah. and real estate ownership. I mean, there are. I would say you know there's a lot of resources. There's books. There's online courses. There's podcasts. Obviously, I got to plug the Connecticut Real Estate Edge podcast because if you're listening to this show right now, go back in our archives at Connecticut Real Estate Edge on any podcast platform. We have several hundred episodes right now that you can go to our uh, you know back back catalog of and get a lot of great information. I don't love a lot of the different websites because they're really just a lead generation site. Any website where you have to put in your name and phone number, beware of that. That's a red (laughs) flag, okay? It's also important to have that team of professionals, the mortgage advisor, the real estate agent. We keep saying it because it's so darn important, yet so many people don't do it. I had a client call me this week that was like, oh yeah, I don't even know what agent I'm working with yet, but I'm under contract on this house. And it it was a mess, okay? He went way, he got to like third base before he should have even started. And that's just a huge red flag and it's a no-no. It's it's nonsense and he almost lost the house because of it. Luckily we were able to get involved and and uh you know save the transaction, but like that's something that people just they they know too much for their own good. They think I can do this on my own and all this, and they don't want to trust the professionals. Realize that mortgage and real estate pros don't get paid unless you close the deal. So they're not trying to charge you money or hassle you up front. We're trying to get you to the finish line. So like lean on that. Go listen to our episodes on the wealth team because that's really going to tune this in to get that wealth team built, get that foundation built and have success. Not only was that a great show, folks, that's an important show. And I, you know, you hit, you really nailed it. Um, it is so imperative that you go back and watch these podcasts, these shows that we've been doing. We've been we're in our third year working with each other here on this almost on this show, years. almost three years. There's a lot of different topics, folks. Speaking of which, um, I want to give you the website as we wrap this show up um, for this morning. It's www.robgw.com. Robgw.com. 
um, if, if you need more information on not only this topic, but as Rob was saying, any of the multitude of topics that we've discussed over the last nearly three years, if you'd like to submit a question to this radio show and podcast, um, simply do so at Mortgage Matters Radio Show at gmail.com. As a matter of fact, we'll try to get your uh, question answered right here on these very airwaves as soon as next weekend. And let me give you the phone number. Get yourself a pen right now. Write this number down. I'm going to give it to you twice. It's Rob's number so that you can make uh, schedule a schedule a consultation with him. It's 860-413-3938. I'll repeat that one more time. 860-413-3938. For Rob Weinberg, I'm Gary Byron. Thank you so much for listening to the Mortgage Matters Radio Show and the Connecticut Real Estate Edge podcast. Until next Saturday morning, have a good one, everybody. So long. Thanks for listening. If you have questions about the information we've covered or would like to discuss mortgage financing for your situation, you can reach Robert Weinberg by visiting www.robgw.com.